the Cavs Corner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. Hi, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, November the 4th. Um, this is not only the place <laughs> where the podcast originates, but it's also the place where puppies now reside. I was, as, as Will told me, I should add to the intro. So, um, shouts to him and also the um, two and a half pound ball of fur that now resides in this home uh, and has made my six year old's life infinitely better in the last 24 hours. Um, Speaking of the last 24 hours, we will not be talking about the other thing that has happened in the world in the last 24 hours. We will talk about news that broke literally minutes before we started to record this show that uh, UVA's game on Saturday against Louisville, scheduled for an 8 p.m. kick on the ACC network, uh, has now been moved to next Saturday afternoon, 3.30 p.m., because of COVID-19 issues and contact tracing at the University of Louisville. Um, I believe as we are recording this right now, Vince Tyra, the AD, at uh, L is speaking to reporters, um, so I, obviously I'm not going to jump on that, but um, definitely um, it, it changes what we're, we're, we're going to do tonight. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, before we get started, I guess uh, I should go around and introduce everybody, for tonight at least. Everybody is one Justin Furbar Bernarling. How's it going, my friend? It's going. Uh, you know, not a lot of sleep, no game this week. Uh, not really sure what to, how, how to react to all that on three hours of sleep. Um, but I do appreciate the, uh, news dump gods for dropping it right before we started recording. Cause that's very helpful for us at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter, literally like right before we started recording. <laughs> um, uh, cast corner also on Twitter Cavs underscore corner. Great place for in-game updates, content items, and the occasional, uh, Woody banter. And again, home of puppies. Um, all right, so yes, yeah, so the news drops um, right before we start to record. Um, it it from a from a bye week standpoint, you don't get the the real benefit of the bye week because now you're several days into practicing, um, you're into game prep. So I'm really curious how Bronco and staff will handle this. Um, what's fun about it from a media standpoint is that in bye weeks we don't get Bronco or coaches or players or anything like that. So at this point in the week, we've already gotten Bronco. We've already gotten coordinators. We got players. So now we will, I guess, get them again. So I'm really curious to hear how UVA will handle this in the days ahead. My guess is Bronco will give everybody like tomorrow off or maybe even Friday off or something. Um, because my guess is, is that he would probably have done, you know, given them a, an extra day or maybe even a, uh, a two days in terms of practice and maybe done a walkthrough or something. But now you still have to be sort of in a game prep mode, even though you've now started it. Um, so this is, in in some ways, a benefit to UVA um, because now, that, you know, they do have some guys banged up and they can get some guys healthier before they play Louisville rather than, you know, taking a week off before you come back um, for Abilene Christian. Right. But it, it, it definitely is another wrench in a season when they're just full of wrenches. I mean, there are wrenches everywhere. Um, how do you feel like UVA should, uh, should utilize this? How, do we want to – I mean, it's not really a bye week. It's more like a half, a half week? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. normally how, they how probably you... wouldn't be practicing the same way you know, during a bye week that they did the last couple of days. But right. this week was also weird because of the election. So they had Tuesday off and practiced Monday night and you know, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, I mean, I, I hate to say that like a COVID outbreak is fortunate for UVA because that's you know obviously not good for Louisville and hopefully everybody's okay. But um, 
I think it helps that the bye comes now instead of against or before you play Abilene Christian, just for the simple fact that you know it, it's better to spend that extra week preparing for somebody that is going to be competitive um, in a game against you. Um, but the only other thing, and I'm sure we'll get to North Carolina in a second, but um, you know, the, it did kind of feel like UVA had some momentum going into this week after winning last week at home. And they were going to get another night game at home against a team with a losing record that's really struggled on defense throughout the season and um, has had sort of an up-and-down year despite having some talented players. Uh, and we knew that they were going to be shorthanded on defense just because of all the guys that were out last week were going to be out this week again. Um, so that might help Louisville kind of get back to where they need to be. Again, all, this is just assuming that the game gets played next week because you know if they're having some issues, it, there's no guarantee that they're going to be resolved on Monday. Um, so that they can prepare for the game. So uh, I guess we'll just see what happens. I, I think sometimes to get this, like when the buy falls and stuff like that, a little bit too much is made of that. Uh, but UVA does have a bunch of guys on defense that have been out for a while. And um, Bronco is kind of cagey when asked, which is no surprise about their status going forward. But um, it doesn't sound like they're going to be out too much longer. It just, it, their, their status for this week was definitely in jeopardy though. But maybe an extra week kind of helps get them back for what is a really big game for UVA trying to get back to, you know, five, 500 record or better down the stretch. I mean, <laughs> in the, in this season of seasons, right. It, it, it shouldn't come as a surprise that, that this kind of nonsense, when well, I would call it nonsense, but this kind of craziness is happening. Um, so let's 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 take a step back. I think there are two. There are obviously two pieces of this, right? There's the Louisville piece and the Virginia piece. For Louisville, this does give them a chance, I think, to be more competitive in this game. You know, given the the issues they were having in um, the previous game against Virginia Tech, it certainly makes sense to me that they might have lost, you know, a couple other guys, and that's all it took. Um, you know, whether those are defensive linemen or what, but you would imagine that if the game is played on the 14th, that's now scheduled that there will be, uh, well, there probably at least will be some guys out, but maybe there will be some guys returning, which makes Louisville a little bit, you know, quote-unquote better, right? So in that respect, it's a good thing for them that they were able to move their bye week up to a place where they could maybe utilize it differently. Um, for Virginia, there, you know, you mentioned the momentum piece. I guess this is going to be interesting because it will sort of show if momentum is real. There's that the whole thing about, you know, whether it is or not. Certainly Virginia was in a groove offensively. Um, this extra time off... How will that impact things, especially when you weren't planning for it? You've game prepped, as we talked about, and now the the rug sort of gets pulled out of un, out from under you. Um, but you, your point was well taken, right? There are a bunch of dudes. Like think about it: Joey Blunt, Brent Nelson, um, Darius Bratton. Um, there's a whole bunch of dudes that have been banged up, um, especially in Virginia secondary, who they could get back now, um, presumably. Um, and then the guys on granted, the offense too. I mean. It sounds like Lavelle Davis yeah. and Ronnie Walker were going to be available for Saturday anyway. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think Davis's situation is pretty clear, right? He was he was in contact tracing. He didn't get cleared until like Thursday night or Friday, and because he didn't practice all week, he wasn't available for the game. Walker seems like he was available, but he maybe didn't practice as much, and so therefore he wasn't um, really cleared. Um, because there's there's more than just like okay, you've served your number of days, right? There's there's you know a more more to it than that. And then also, I mean, um, and it, I, it, maybe having him suit up is one of those things where it's like if UVA suddenly took on a bunch of injuries at running back or something, maybe you could throw him in there if you absolutely had to. Right. But you know, it's like they're right. not going to play him unless they unless it came to that. Yeah, and I think too, um, you know, we we know Brendan Armstrong 
was injured at the end of the game. I don't think anybody's actually said whether it was a knee or an ankle or what it was. Um, he certainly wasn't putting any weight really on that leg, but he stood there and swung the the, the sledgehammer for the rocks. I mean, yeah, on, and did interviews from the field. So my guess is he was gonna be okay. He practiced, but now at least you get him a couple of extra days rest going into an ACC game versus going into an out of conference game. So that has to be a positive. Yeah, and and also um, I mean like I, I I think you hit it though. Like a lot of people were I got a lot of texts from people like what's the deal with Brandon Armstrong and. <laughs> at first, you know, obviously it was concerning to see him go down and have to leave the game. But then when you see him like walking around celebrating in the locker room, doing interviews, I was like, all right, that's not the kind of thing they normally do when a guy has like a serious injury. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, it was one of those two because it's he, he was on he was down on the field for, a, you know, a minute or so, you know, as they were kind of looking at him. And it's not like he, you know, he he got a, He took a hit. He popped up and walked around a minute. But then he started being a little gimpy. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, certainly in that moment, especially in Scott Stadium, where you know when there's really no fans there, I mean, you can't you can't call what that was a hush. That wasn't a hush. It was like everybody had hit mute, right? Yeah. Like it was no sound hushed. emanated yes. from yes. no one there. Exactly. Like hush was like the default, you know. Um, but it was like somebody hit mute on the world. Um, but man, it the fact that he can come back now get some days of practice, and then also now get some rest is kind of a perfect situation for him in a way because then he can just get right back to it. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and also, I mean, he's – I don't have the numbers. Actually, I could pull the numbers up. There's nothing stopping me, right? Um, I was just trying to figure <laughs> out – well, I was just trying to figure out, like, how many carries he's had since he came back um, in the last two yeah. weeks um, because, you know, that's something that even if you're healthy, that does add up over time, right? I mean – you're going to eventually have to kind of take some miles off. Um, yeah, he's had 52 carries. Um, yeah. or no, that's passes. I'm sorry. Um, he's had 35 runs mm -hmm. in the last two games. Right. So, and, and also too, like the reason I think if we're being honest that they were running still running Thompson and, and, and before he got hurt Armstead right. as much as they were is because they want to try to, to lessen the number of blows he's taken. They know they need to run the ball from the quarterback spot. Um, I, I would imagine that now, that now that they're because there was a, that was something I asked, I talked about in the three, two, one. You know, the question was like, okay, so what, what will they like? What will that look like now that you know you don't have Armstead for the rest of the season, right? Will they continue to run Thompson as much because they're trying to take the load off Brennan, or will they try to protect him because now you're down to literally just Armstrong, mm -hmm. who we've already seen go down for an extended period of time in two games this season and last missed year. one and yeah right exactly uh stone and now thompson so like how you know when you know your your depth is all of a sudden limited more, more than you, than it was before does that change the calculus a little bit on how much you use thompson beyond um you know just the runs like do, do you need him to go out as a wide receiver um and risk you know, being left with just two quarterbacks. I'm, I, you know, I think that's a question that Bronco and his staff have to answer. But, well, it's funny too, because um, last year we always heard, you know, when Brennan was out with the turf toe thing, like Bryce, when he was in the game, they were just very hesitant to give him too many carries because they knew that his backup wasn't available. Right. And now Brennan's like in and out of the lineup, you know, with missing games with the concussion, but they have absolutely no qualms about running his backup over and over and over again, you know? Um, yeah, so right. I think the calculus is just a little different this year because Keaton doesn't really throw the ball and, uh, Lindell, you know, I think they trust him as the backup, um, if they need him. So, you know, I, I think it's a little different than, than what would happen last year, but, um, 
I, I think that I just kind of see the discrepancy there and I'm like, hmm, you know, it's just interesting how that works. For sure. All right, so Virginia's game against Louisville postponed until next week, which, you know, luckily for us, we didn't, you know, just record a podcast and then hour later um, news drops or tomorrow morning or whatever. So we will we will preview uh, the game against Louisville next week rather than this week. But let's talk a little bit about that Carolina win. Um, easily the best UVA's offense, I think, has looked this season. Um, I think your film room did a really good job of breaking down sort of the big plays, not just the, the ones that scored points, but the ones that, like, were sort of – impactful in in terms of Virginia winning the game the thing I think that I, that as I rewatched it that I'm I was really struck with was I felt like this was a confident game plan um in a way that not all of the ones that we've seen for Virginia this year have been now that's not to say that it was consistently confident there were definitely times where I'm just like wait what is happening right now but overall I thought Virginia's offense looked extremely competent confident um almost looked as if the other weeks hadn't happened in a way. Um, what do you attribute UVA? I mean, is it just a f- simple fact that Carolina's defense isn't very good? Uh, what would you attribute UVA's success offensively and their consistency in this game offensively? What would you attribute that? To? I think this might sound like double talk, but I kind of contribute their success to their consistency, right? Like it wasn't, um, you know, we, we talked about it last week, but they just had a lot of three and outs and drives that just didn't really go anywhere um, in the Miami game and games before that when Brennan was out um, and even some when Brennan was in before that. Um, but this game, it just they moved the ball well. I think they had one three and out in the game, um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it came in the second half. Um, you know, they, they moved the ball consistently. They also added, as we talked about in the film room, some chunk plays that they weren't completely non-existent in other games, but they certainly ratcheted it up a level um, against North Carolina. They had um, statistically, I mean, I'm sure there's people that measure it differently, but the way that big plays are categorized in the actual stats is a 10 plus yard run or 15 plus yard pass. And UVA had 12 of those plays against North Carolina, including a 71 yard touchdown, which was the longest play of the season and uh, multiple plays that were 27, 28, 29, 30 something yards. Um, You think Simpson had another long run. Brennan's first touchdown run was 23 yards. I believe Um, even the two touchdowns that came in the red zone to Poljan and Henry were 18 yards, 17 yards. You know, how many times have we talked about UVA getting in first and goal from the nine or whatever and not being yeah. able to punch first it in? First and goal from the 10. Yeah, because then you, yeah. you run out of room, right? And it's just harder to score in those places, and the defenses can sort of like play bend but don't break and then stop you there. UVA was able to score from the far end, like the fringes of the red zone uh, multiple times. So they also, I think they were perfect five for five in the red zone. Um, they had the one turnover, right? But that was late in the game, and it did cost them. I mean, it did tighten the game, but it wasn't enough to cost them the game. And then they were also able to, and this isn't necessarily to credit the offense completely, but they they were finally, finally able to create a few advantages on defense and special teams that allowed the offense to get the short fields that they need to be able to put 44 points on the board. Um, and that was so big. I mean, the, the muff punt, I have no doubt that was – I mean, a lot of people are going to talk about the fake punt at the end of the game, which was obviously huge, but I don't think UVA is anywhere near where they ended up if they don't get that play because, you know, it's the 2020 game. They they end up getting the muff punt recovery at, I think, the 20-yard line. They score with Thompson on the run. They go up seven and a half. Exactly the situation we talked about them trying to get into last week on the show. 
you know, scoring right before half, then getting the ball back and scoring again, which they did. And then they were up 14. And then they created another turnover with the strip sack and then scored off of that one. So, like, that that, that sequence to end the second quarter, begin the third quarter, creating those turnovers and short fields and then capitalizing on them was was really, I think, the difference. And, and what we really haven't seen from this team, we talk about complementary football, like, we just haven't seen them – create those sort of advantages for the offense to take advantage of. And, and in this game, we finally did. And, and that coupled with the breakout of the, you know, chunk plays and, and an improved running game, I thought was the difference. So it's interesting to me when you, when you dig into some of these numbers, it's crazy. Virginia one, I mentioned this in the, uh, in my, in my column, but yes, yeah. <laughs> same how went 23 of 28 for 443 yards for four touchdowns, right? Nary an interception, a QB rating of 262.2 in his team lost, right? All right. Virginia was three of 11 on third down and one. Yeah. Sorry, three of 11 on third down and scored 44 points yeah. in a game and one. And four right? for four on well, fourth down. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So then the positives, right? So they were four of four on fourth down. They had uh, they ran 73 plays in this game. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember the last time. They were five for five in the red zone. Time of possession, which can sometimes be a, a meaningless stat. They were 34-34. But that, um, hey, that's something they only had that we the one. talked about last week, that this game they really needed to do that because yeah, they got, yeah, they I mean, they, they got really did. exposed in the second half of that Miami game against Tempo because they couldn't get off the field. Um, the offense couldn't stay on the field, rather. You know, they were just on the field too much. And in this game, we were saying, hey, if you do that against North Carolina, you're just going to get burned a lot. Like, And they did yeah. burn them a lot. They really did. I mean, there was, they had a bunch of big plays, too. I, Dave actually texted me the other day when I was doing the take two and was like, hey, is there a way that there you can capture the number of yards allowed on a like a percentage basis? Right. So like how many yards were available to a team and how many they right. got? And so I did a quick right. math thing with the um, UNC stats and they gained 75 percent of the yards available to them. If you take wow. if you take out the drive where they fumbled the muff punt, which I wouldn't really okay. as an offensive drive, right? Yeah, me either. Yeah, they got 536 yards of offense out of like 700 and something total possible yards, and so they had 75 percent of the total yards available to them were earned, and they still lost. All right, and here's the other thing, right? So we talked a lot. I feel like we talked a lot. I know we talked amongst ourselves a lot about Williams and Carter. Right, so they combine. What Williams goes for thirteen carries, fifty-four yeah. yards and a touch. Carter goes for nine for sixty-four. Virginia held Carolina to two point eight yards per rush, mm-hmm. um, which is below their their metric of what was it? What is it? Three or three and a half? Whatever it is. Um, so I mean, I think and this Carolina, is the game where I thought, Carolina's okay, got an explosive running game, like way right. way above average. Yeah. And they held him to 93 overall yards rushing. Now, granted, that includes you know negative 25 yards for um, Sam Howell, but um, I mean that in and of itself, I thought was impressive. It was the, it was definitely a oh okay, so this run defense thing is for real because you know when given the the the, the sort of circumstances of some of these other games that Virginia's been in, teams haven't necessarily needed to run right. They've been having so much success down the field, they just throw the ball, you know. So. I was really curious to see them play a good running team, and they they shut it down. And considering that they did that without Richard Burney in the lineup, and they're having to lean on Adib, they're having to lean uh, to lean on uh, Nusi Milani. Like they're having to play at times 
uh, Carter and uh, Briggs together. Yeah. I mean, I was really impressed with the with the defensive front, and especially Charles Snowden. I mentioned, you know, we're talking stats. They had five sacks in the game, seven tackles for loss. Um, that's you know they had negative forty one yards on those TFLs. That's that's something this team has just not been doing consistently. And I feel like to to even if they gave up forty one uh, points, right? I get that. Um, but like just for them to get back to who they are a little bit in terms of creating havoc, to be able to have that balance offensively, I mean, there's a whole lot to take from this game. Yeah. I mean, I think that Snowden really, he did, I mean, to be quite honest with you, he broke out in the Miami game and then this game, he just sort of took it up a notch. And, and not only did he get those TFLs, one of them forced a turnover, which turned into seven points in a game that they won by three. Right. So, I mean, that's huge. And you're right. I mean, the, the, the defensive linemen were really good against the run, but also the linebackers coming up to help um, Jackson and, and Zandier. They're, they're good against the run, um, have been all year, really. And, and they were really good in this game. Um, I just looked it up. North Carolina's uh, game before UVA, they played NC State. They had 55 carries for 326 yards and five touchdowns. So basically six yards per carry. And then against UVA, 33 for 93 and and one touchdown, 2.8 yards per carry. So, I mean, that, that's staggering. That's like by far. It's the, the first team that North Carolina has played that held them under four yards a carry. Um, I mean, against Virginia Tech, they averaged 9.3 yards per carry on the ground. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that that was no small feat. And you kind of hit on it last week, right? I mean, you said maybe they're better off just trying to take away the run, really trying to take away the run and make North Carolina beat you with the pass. And you know North Carolina is going to beat you with the pass, but it's how much they can beat you with the pass. And that's right. something that we talked about. Right. Like, can you survive? Can you do enough um, on defense to get off the field? And you think about it, yeah, they gave up a bunch of bombs, a bunch of big touchdowns, including one again early in the game. And, and North Carolina, you know, was able to keep it close because of that. But think about the possession where they missed the field goal, right? Like, there were two big pass plays on that drive. And, but UVA was able to stop them because Jackson sacked Howell on second down, and they missed the field goal at the edge of field goal range. Um, the the sequence at the end of the first half, right? So, I mean, they get two yeah. big pass plays down to the five, and then UVA, there's an incomplete, and then Clary gets hit with the DPI, which was a good DPI because if he didn't do it, he probably gives up a touchdown. Um, right. And then the next play is the fumble and the half's over. So the, they were able to... Yeah, they gave up a bunch of big plays, including some that went for touchdowns. But they also were able to allow some big plays, reset, and then get off the field. And that really, I think, was the difference. What also, too, I mean, listen, I, I know sometimes stuff sounds crazy. But, like, if you're if you're going to say, all right, we're going to stop the run. We're going to take this piece of your – and we're going to make you beat us throwing. What that also does is it plays to UVA's advantage or, what you, or maybe what UVA wants its advantage to be in terms of – getting after the quarterback, right? If you tell Carolina to throw and you know you're making them throw, well, now you can have Charles Snowden going out there doing Charles Snowden things, right? I mean, he had that one drive where he had like three sacks, which was nuts, right? He had four sacks. Um, he's the first Cavalier to, since Jamie Sharper in 96 against Carolina to have four sacks in a game. Um, he was dominant at times. Um, and you could tell that that was starting to impact Carolina. So Virginia took away the run and then essentially like got in, you know, got in some, some really good shots and at least if nothing else, put Carolina in a position where they were doing what Virginia, they sort of dictated to Carolina what they want them to do. And yeah, they took some shots downfield, the kid threw for 443 yards through four touchdowns, even though they, what they can, Virginia controls the ball in the fourth quarter for like 11 minutes or some nonsense, right? Carolina still scored like 
two or three times or whatever it was, right? So Carolina scored twice in that in that in that period anyway. Um but but beyond that, I, I feel like this was this was a good game plan. I'm curious how much they can do with this going forward because can they put other teams in a position, right? To basically do the same thing. And I understand that like essentially what I'm saying here is kind of um it's 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 kind of it's kind of making essentially what is Virginia's game plan sound rudimentary, but go in there, shut down the run, dare teams to pass and make them do it right. Make them, make them do what they're supposed to do to beat you. Um, more often than not, you know, one of your guys is going to create some ha- havoc in the backfield. I mean, you've got to be pretty good. Uh, you got to, and I mean, Carolina's offense is pretty good, right? That offensive line is, is experienced and strong. Um, how is one of the best quarterbacks in the league? Um, probably the second in the country. Really? In the league. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's probably top, what top 10 in the country. Yeah. Um, and doing what he does, he, you know, he's got two great running backs back there with him who, who can just break, I mean, just break tackles anytime they want. So, I mean, if they can do this to Carolina, why can't they do this to other teams? I feel like that's the blueprint for them. And if there's anything that really comes out of this for the defense, it's probably hitting on that. Just like, I feel like, you know, like, uh, and I said today during the coordinator call, right? Like they feel like they found their identity last week like they feel like it took them to longer than they wanted um but they feel like they're closer to being who they're supposed to be after that game and i completely agree i, I think you know you look at brendan armstrong ran what 20 times 66 yards and a touch he throws it 12 or 22 for 200 and some odd yards and three he did have that one pick um I, I thought from a from a game plan standpoint virginia's offense was as as well uh as well oiled as, as they've been all season. And certainly this looked, you know, even though they had some moments there where it looked a little bit, maybe uh, off the rails, there was a whole lot of cohesion uh, and you saw everybody sort of get involved. Rashawn Henry, um, the Shane Simpson gets, game, Brad, it finally happened. Yeah. I was going to say the Shane Simpson game finally happened in a um, big way. <laughs> I, yeah, it really did. And it made you wonder like, why have they not been throwing that route to him all along? Well, that, you know? I mean, like, I where's that bid? I'm sure you saw it in the film room, but I was like, you know what? This is the same exact play. They threw to Talapapa um, on like a third and one early in the Duke game. And he just dropped it wide open. Right. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's why you need pass and catching or running. Back. It's not that Wayne can't catch, but he's a running back first and a pass catcher second or third after being blocker. Um, and, and Shane can kind of do everything. And, and I think Ronnie Walker is going to be able to do that stuff too um, when he starts playing. So, I mean, yeah, I think that was huge. And, yeah, all of the the true freshmen really stepped up. Tony Poljohn had another big game. Henry only only catches touchdowns apparently. Um, if it's if it's not in the end zone, he just won't catch it. <laughs> um, or just <laughs> target. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they were all big. Keaton Thompson, I mean, I can't say enough good things about this guy. Like – he he does everything for you that you want him to do. He's playing all kinds of different positions. He runs really hard. He's a, I mean, obviously he made a huge play at the end of the game. Um, th- that dude is just, he's an asset to them, you know, and not everybody would be willing to do the stuff that he's being asked to do. And he's, he's doing it and well, that's a, willingly. That's a really good segue because I was actually thinking about one of our side to- you know, once I, once I heard that the, um, the game had gotten moved, I was like, all right, what are some other football kinds of things? And there was this lot of conversation about Thompson. You know, he got the dreaded question to this week about um, Bronco did about um, being compared to Taysom Hill, and um, or maybe was it was it? I bet my my pressures might be running together. I, I don't see Thompson as a Taysom Hill type. I, I see Thompson is like, and I'm going to apologize if this comes across wrong. It's like he's like Bryce Perkins light, yeah, right. 
in the sense that, like, he's not going to go and, I mean, like, Bryce did not have, you know, the biggest arm, but he could throw it, right? And he was a threat to throw, right? I, Thompson is not that. What Thompson gives you is a lot of those elements of what Bryce did on the ground, but you can have it in an offense that also has Brennan Armstrong. And I almost wondered the other day, or sorry, I did wonder it, but I, you know, I wonder if they almost thought this is maybe what they thought they could do when they had the two of them together. But I wonder in hearing them talk about, you know, Bronco, this was Bronco um, yesterday talking about, um, you know, rhythm and the balance between like, how, what do you, you know, when you have these different guys and you have these different options, how do you, you know, you got to make sure your guy goes, but you also, you, you have these other elements that you want to get involved. Right. And I wonder, and this might be just, you know, ridiculous, but, I was watching this and I was thinking, man, maybe this is what they thought they could do when they put Armstrong on the field with with Perkins, right? Where they could do some different stuff beyond just, you know, oh, this guy lines up behind center and, and you know what I mean? Like I I I don't know if if that's necessarily where this thing was born, but it's clear to me that that idea helped them come up with whatever concepts and whatever hard and fast rules they're using yeah. for that right now. You know what I mean? I think I think what we saw, I mean, obviously Armstead didn't play, so some of the stuff we saw against Miami wasn't going to apply because he wasn't there. Um, but I think what we saw, we talked about it last week, and I was sort of critical of the QB rotation stuff that they were doing, and, and I didn't say that they— You were I, sort of critical. Well, You were sort of critical. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I'll say what I said. Yeah, I'll say what I said. I'll say what I said last week, though. I mean, like, I never said to scrap it, right? I mean, that completely. But I just thought it was a lot of fluff and bells and whistles to confuse when a team sees that it's a quarterback there, right? I mean, they they know who he is. Um, their film is out on it. Like, they, you're not going to trick them, right? You know, it's not a punter throwing a pass. Um, what they did against North Carolina, I felt like, not to say they didn't use pre-stat motion and stuff like that, but it just felt to me like it was more substantive in terms of, you know, we're just going to line up. They know it's coming. We know it's coming, but it's short yardage, and he's going to get the yards, right? Like, that's that stuff works. I mean, you think about Cam Newton on the goal line, Tim Tebow when he was used that way um, as a freshman and then later in his career. Like, you, it's okay. I, I don't I want people to think, like, you can't, do things that are in a tendency that defenses are going to predict because, you know, if you have things that work, defenses can be prepared for them and still not stop them. Right. Um, the problem is when the entire strategy is confused them, you know, like eventually it's going to come down to how quickly they catch onto those tendencies against North Carolina. I don't think they were really trying to hide anything. They were like, when he's in the game at quarterback, he's going to get the ball. And he's going to run. Right. And I do think he threw a pass and drew a pass interference. Um, early in the game, I think it was the Simpson down the sideline or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they they pretty much used him as a running back, which is which is what they're doing with him really. Um, and and I, I like using him in the short yardage. And they had that one first and ten play that I highlighted in the film room that went for eleven or twelve or thirteen yards, which was nice. And then the fake punt, you know, um, the goal line carry. I think that's what he's good at, right? That's the kind of stuff that you can do with him. And He's not just a tough runner and a big physical guy, but he's creative. He knows when it's time to just bury your head and take what's there, and he knows when to bounce it out and, and do other things. So I'm interested to see what it, what he can do, and I think if nothing else, he provides you some, an option in short yardage goal line situations and, like you said earlier, kind of take some of the burden off of Armstrong in those situations or at least give the defense someone else to worry about. 
Oh man. Um, I guess we got to right, talk. Last about thing on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna. No, perfect segue. All right, we. I want to give you a chance before I go off on a rant about it. Mm-hmm. I want to give you a chance to sort of talk through your thoughts on that play, on that, on that decision, on the play call, all of it. I want to give you. I want to give you the open floor. Yeah, I was very surprised. Um, <laughs> at first, I was like, "Yeah, I don't agree with that at all," even though it worked. And and since then, in reviewing and thinking more like outside of the situation and thinking about all the factors, um, I certainly would not have faulted him as much as some people would have if he punted um, from where they were on the field. But I I, I kind of do. I understand more. Like, I don't think it's it was as crazy as I thought it was in the moment. Um, I wasn't the, the the funny the funny thing is the first thing I thought was the play before that Thompson ran like off tackle right and picked up like a yard or something. Um, that was the one where he faked it to Lindell Stone. <laughs> um, and so when I saw the fake punt at first, I was like, "Wait, did, are they showing the same play again?" And then I was like, "Oh no, this is this is a punt." <laughs> um, I, I, the credit goes to Thompson because they sniffed it out. I mean, he said it on Monday, and he's right. They they knew it was a fake. Um, they saw him in there. I don't know what was said pre-snap at the line of scrimmage, but he made it seem like they knew it was coming and he was able to cut back and get the yards on an individual effort because Carolina had it pretty much snuffed out. Um, and, and it worked. And I think now looking back on it, what I'm thinking is, um, well, another thing that I thought at the moment was that I'm like a minute behind and Brad's been sitting in the press box for a minute waiting for me to text him and be like, what the hell? <laughs> um, which is what I did. Um, and, he, and then you responded with, I've been waiting for that for like a minute. Um, but <laughs> thanks, YouTube TV, for being a minute behind. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that Armstrong was banged up, I think kind of changes my view of how risky it was to go for it, you know? Um a lot of people were like, well, it's guaranteed touchdown if you if you punt it back to them. And I certainly understand, based on what we'd seen in that game, why people would think that. But I also think if you know that you can't give up a touchdown, then you play really, really soft and basically dare them to get a field goal. Um, and, and and that might have worked out for Carolina, and they might have won in overtime. But they would if, if Griffin got a good punt off from there, I, I don't think that North Carolina would have been in a great position to drive the field. I think they would have been backed up pretty far. Um but hey, I mean, I give I give Bronco credit. He has more guts than I do, um, and and he knows his team probably better than I do. And he he thought they could get it, and and it's the second time they faked a punt and got it this year. And um, you know, they they faked a punt against North Carolina last year successfully. So there's clearly you know knowing when to push those buttons and and you know what situations to go for the kill um, is big. And and not just that, but again, they went forward on fourth down four times in the game. Once was on their first drive at the fifty, and they got it. Um, so I think they, they played to win the entire way. They really did. All right. Here's my thing. I think that anytime you're in a game like that as a coach and you have one play, like when you go for two and you know what I'm saying? Like, I always appreciate that more than like, Oh, well let's, let's kick it and just see what happens. Like I'm much, I am always been a dude who says, go for the seven, go, you know, win the game. Right. This was a play where Bronco could win the game. Right. Pick up three yards. Uh, It probably was a long three because I think I think the TV broadcast called it fourth and four, but it was officially fourth and three. Like, yeah, pick up your your four yards, but it felt like a long three. Yeah, it was a long it was a long three. Yeah. Right. Pick up your your few yards. Right. But I, I do think that if you look at it from the standpoint of 
if they don't get it, what happens? I mean, I have no doubt in my mind it didn't matter where you gave Carolina the ball that my, they were just going to start chucking it down the field. And the chances that UVA, you know, we talk about like with chunk plays and the idea that like sometimes UVA's offense is not explosive and that hurts them because it takes a lot more. You have to basically do a lot more consistently, right? You have to consistently not screw up in order for long drives to, to, to lead to touchdowns, right? Big plays, you just need one play, right? You need one thing. One guy throws it, one guy catches and scores, right? All right. Carolina's going to keep chucking that thing, and I don't think Virginia's defensive backs were going to be in a position where they were going to be able to make enough plays consistently to stop whatever Carolina threw for four downs, mm-hmm. right? That just wasn't going to happen. And that's certainly a reasonable um, outlook, you know? That's that's not a crazy thing to say at all. So so I kind of I, I kind of think of it like this. If – if I'm UVA in that spot, you're probably better off if you put your offense on the field, but then you also invite them to put their defense on the field. And you, you don't tell, have Armstrong. Right. You could tell that there was a little bit of a um, an urgency on, on the punt teams, you know, as they're getting ready to, to execute the fake. You could tell that something was up. And Carolina called it out. I mean, they saw it clear as day because, you know, Thompson has a 99 on. Um, yeah, it seems like he's it, not it, usually there. I'd have to go back and look at other plays. Right? But, yeah, he's not. He's not. He's not one. Of the and everybody backs, was usually. sort of aware, you know. Yeah. So I, I think I loved it. I loved it. I I thought his execution was great, and um, you know, I thought I thought he did a a fantastic job. So yeah, yeah. I mean, great. All right, let's. If nothing else, and and you know, like sometimes the execution is is can trump. You know, even if North Carolina knows it's coming, like I said, you know. If, if, if you give Thompson the ball in short yardage situations, even if you know it's coming, he's going to get a lot of them. And another thing, just real quick on this before we move on, um, I thought it was interesting that Bronco said in his press conference yesterday that <laughs> he thought the team had a better chance uh, surprising them than just getting the yard straight up. Um, yeah, right. So he really felt like the fake would work, um, like they would it would fool them. And, and it didn't fool them maybe as much as he thought it did, but they were able to just execute and get the yards. So, I mean, I'm never going to say – I'm never going to fault someone for being aggressive, uh, and it worked. And I, the only the only thing that I had against it was if you give them the ball there, if you don't get it, then you you went – you go from – like if you punt, I think your your opportunity to win the game is like, I don't know, 50% at best probably going against North Carolina's offense. Against a mediocre offense, right. it would probably be like 80%. Um, but – if you give them the ball there, <laughs> you're going to overtime at worst. I mean, like they're basically almost in field goal range. But hey, I mean, again, he knows his team, he knows the, the spots, and and it worked. So he gets the credit, and so does Thompson for sure. For for sure, for sure. All right, so let's talk about. We haven't talked basketball. I feel like in legitimate months, um, and we are right on the cusp. Um, of, of actually being able to talk about actual basketball. Um, it feels weird because we don't have a schedule yet. Um, but at the yeah. same time, you know, the opener is what, three weeks or something away. I mean, it's, it's not far. Um, and then obviously, um, stuff will get going pretty good, pretty quick. Um, the ACC is going to hold some sort of media day virtually. Uh, my expectation is we'll have some sort of, um, UVA media day, some virtual media day next week. Um, which kind of bums me out because like basketball media day is one of my favorites because you can just sort of walk around and talk to anybody. And so I, I would literally load up on video and just run that stuff forever. Um, but I also thought it was cool because you could get a lot of different perspectives. I'm not sure how they're going to do it this year, but I guess we'll wait and see. 
Um, but there have been some basketball things, right? There's, you know, Sam uh, Hauser got um, added to the Irvin Award watch list. Kay Clark to the Koozie Award. <laughs> apparently, um, apparently Hauser plays for Xavier, according to their release, though. <laughs> um, or at least the graphic that they put out. Yeah. Um, the um, the Kim Palm stuff came out last night, which I thought was a brilliant move by him to to dump it when he did. I thought it was fun. Um, yeah. And As then, if we had, don't have enough data in our life right now. Right. I'm inundated with Steve Kornacki. Um, but then also, too, like, Ferber and I got our, you know, unbeknownst to us, right? I just showed up in the inbox. It's like, hey, vote for all ACC. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. Um, it's due Monday, by the way. Okay, so I guess I better get on top of that. Um, <laughs> I guess, I don't know, man. Let's start with just sort of a general conversation. I feel like this team, I don't know if it's a function of, the way last season ended or what it is, but I feel like this team has, uh, I have more confidence and more, almost more expectations in this team than any others, including the one that came back after UMBC and won a title. Um, in part, I think because I, I, I liked last year's team, except for the lack of what I would call a consistent sort of, um, do it by himself score sort of score right and i feel like this team is going to have two of those guys in sam hauser and uh jabri abdul rahim i i think that losing mom Kite and and braxton is not it's not like small change but i think that virginia's roster is stacked um, i'm excited about caden shedrick i'm excited about the freshman i'm excited to see what world of tenside looks like in a, and more so look like a year in um, I, I think the combination when you can put another ball handler on the floor in Tony's offense, good things typically happen. So I'm excited to see Beekman. Uh, I mean, I just I don't know, man. I, I just really like this team, and I I feel pretty confident that the ACC runs through Charlottesville. Um, what are your general thoughts on this on this basketball team, and and are we overhyping it? Um. I'm really excited too. I think this is going to be a good team. I'm, I'm excited for the season just in general. I'm really excited to see the schedule, which we have no idea what it's going to look like. Um, but you know, that, that will kind of shape what I think about the season too. But um, my thing is this, I don't think that we're overvaluing them in terms of being like one of the nation's best team, potentially the best team in the ACC. Um, that does not feel like a stretch to me. Personally, I think they're closer to top 10-ish nationally than top four or like where a lot of people want to see them, you know, right at the very top. That's not to say that they're not going to be really good because top 10, top 15 is really good. Um, and certainly you can win a national championship if you're the 12th best team in the country. Um, but I, I, I think that it's going to take some time for these pieces to gel. And I think here's what separates it from me from the team that won the title. Um that team had, I think, not not to say that UVA has like any, they don't have a talent problem or anything with this team, but I think the the 2018 group, or the 2019 group, I should say, they had more knowns, I think, right, in terms of scoring and like what the lineup would look like and who, who you could depend on to get what every night. Um, you had Kyle Guy back, you had Ty Jerome back basically all ACC caliber players. You had the ACC sixth man of the year, which was, you know, a future lottery pick win. And we knew he was going to be a pretty high draft pick then. Um, you know, like that to me was a team that they just, the pieces were there. They just had to go out and do it where this team, I think 
I'm gonna we're gonna have to find out like what the what the dynamic on offense is gonna look like after last year they struggled so much for most of the year on offense. I think this team you know is obviously set up to be much better on that side of the court um, with Hauser and and with another year in the program for some key guys and then with the freshmen that are coming in. But you do have a lot of guys that haven't played together uh, in games. Uh, a lot of for young players who again Dave will be the first person to bring this up and I'm sure he'll be glad I am. Um, freshman newcomers usually don't blow up under Tony in the first year. Um, not to say that that won't happen with Hauser because he's much more of a you know known commodity and an older player. But um, with the freshmen, I think you're going to need to have some patience, like bringing them along. Um, and I'm not saying this to say that UVA is going to be bad, but I mean we've seen what their non-conference schedule could look like, and they're going to be really tested in some of these games. And I wouldn't be surprised if their record kind of lags behind what they can do in the first part of the season. And then in the second half, kind of like last year, um, they really get going and, and put up a lot of wins and look really efficient. And um, eventually come tournament postseason time, they look primed to be one of the top teams in the country. Um, that would not surprise me. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them run up a pretty good win total. And, and like you said, win the ACC regular season um, going into the tournament, Assuming this is all assuming that we have anything resembling a normal season, which is still obviously in doubt. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited just to see, you know, what new players can do, what new blood can do, because it did feel, and, and now with, with COVID having canceled the NCAA tournament, it really did sort of punctuate that last year was sort of an in-between gap year for UVA, you know, and, and a lot of teams probably, um, you know, going, coming from a national title, losing so many guys like they did, and, and and trying to be competitive again while while not having just quite frankly not having the firepower, and and they were still able to put up a good win total, and and they would have been a pretty high seed in the NCAA tournament, um, but in order to compete for a national championship, I think the offense is probably going to need to take a big step forward, which we expect that they will with the new guys that they have on board. I I said last year. You know, and listen, I, this is the part where, you know, <laughs> I was all about Lavelle Davis in the preseason and said, you know, hey, you guys need to get on the Lavelle Davis train, whatever. All right, he's going to be my guy. All right. I, I understand Jabri Abdurrahim is kind of a, a, you know, a little bit of a more focal point in Virginia's screen glass. So I'm not trying to say like, hey, there's, there's a little, little um, you know, um, up and comer named Jabri. But I remember talking a lot last year about whether it was on the pod or wherever. Just about the idea that, like, if Virginia had a guy like Jabri, like, he'd have been perfect, right? He was exactly what they needed, right? Dude, they needed somebody to go to the rim. Yeah, they needed <laughs> yeah. a dude who could just go get his shot. Just go, go do, go do you, right? And one of the things about Jabri that would always impress me, no matter where I saw him, was like he could just go get his shot. Didn't matter what the game, didn't matter who's playing, didn't matter what the game situation was, didn't matter what his teammates were like. Dude could just go, go do it. Um, he didn't really need a lot of help, right? He doesn't seem like a dude. Who who can kind of really create for himself in the sense that like he's not he's not like a you know a jitterbug point guard you know what I'm saying like he doesn't look like a guy who's going to take you off the bounce but that kid will get his shot he can get to the spot and get and get a look um, he's exactly I mean what you think about needs. Malcolm Brogdon he's the same way especially after he got hurt he wasn't like an athletic phenom but he was able to be super crafty about like picking his spots and knowing when to pull up you know on on mid range shots and stuff like that and I think he's going to be sort of similar. Probably with just more bounce. Exactly, and so you add him in with a group. Kihei, if that if that's a you know just just think about it like this, right? Stack these things up, right? So you have a guy who can now go get his shot, right? You have Wolda Tensai and Hauser who can who can hit it from deep. You've got 
Clark who can create off the bounce and does a lot better when he has a guy like him, you know, like uh, Jabri uh, out with him. You've got depth at, at point guard. You've got Jay Huff. You've got um, Poppy. You've got Caden Shedrick, who I'm, like I said, I'm really excited to watch. Um, that's a really nice group of dudes, right? That's a really interesting, yeah. you know, the way you get different guys kind of overlap. Deep. Um, you know, and look, we haven't mentioned, you know, a couple of them, right? I think that's one of the things about this group is that like Tony's Tony's challenge with this team is not going to be just like, hey, let's maximize, right? Let's we got some new faces and some new pieces, including Hauser. You know, how well's defense going to come along? That's always going to be, a, you know, an evergreen sort of question and 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 test for UVA, regardless of the season, right? Is like how far along is the defense? But I feel like their offense is going to be not just further along than they were last year, but considerably so. And if that's the case, then the, then the question about the defense really even matters exponentially more because now they have the firepower to be able to do what they want offensively. Can they also do what you know Tony's going to ask them to do defensively? Um, now, that being said, the thing that I also find interesting about this team is how, like, we talked in the, in the lead-up to football right, about the idea of, of culture, right, and, like, that some schools, because they'd had coaching changes or whatever, maybe even system changes, right, new coordinators, what have you, that, like, some schools were going to be in a better position to handle the weirdness that was COVID, right, in preseason, such and such, such. Now, basketball's in a little bit of a different spot. One, um, it's a smaller group, right? Two, there's no, like, full contact element, right? Dudes can, can do a lot more to sort of work on their game, in a way that football players kind of can't if they can't be around each other, right? Like, you're a quarterback, yeah, you can throw, but you need somebody to catch it, right? <laughs> no one. Like, yeah. you're a basketball player, you just need a hoop and a ball, right? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of basketball practice is individual anyway, right? I mean, that's just how it is. This is the nature of the sport. Um, it, it It's interesting to me in the sense that, like, we know, too, that basketball got once, you know, guys could, could practice again, you know, it's been ramping up. You know, I've heard rumors of some schools literally doing full practices since the summer, right? Just full on, just just absolute practice since the summer. Um, so th- to varying degrees, you're going to get some some your mileage is going to vary. But overall, I just I, I think about this team, I think culture, right? And, and how that will sustain and what it would mean for this team, because we saw them last year. Some of those games were ugly, right? Didn't you know they were winning some of them by the skin of their teeth. You know, at the end of the day, it's not. It doesn't matter what the margin is as long as it's a win, right? And no, that's not a reference to anything else um, currently happening in society or anything. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's 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 interesting to me that like you got some new faces. So will that culture prevail? Think about the leadership of this team, right? So Kihei Clark's been there since like 1977 at this point, right? He he and I Jay feel H- that way about Jay Huff. I was gonna say Jay <laughs> Huff has been there a long time. Um, Jay Huff was there. You could convince me that Jay Huff played with like Sylvan Landsberg <laughs> at this point. Like, yeah. Uh, between the two of them, I mean, they they obviously, but are they vocal guys, right? And I think that's one of the things about last year's team is that Mombadi and Braxton were not necessarily guys that you thought of immediately when you thought of like vocal leadership, right? Like, no, you know, they're both kind of quiet. They're kind of you know reserved dudes who 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 would rather go lead out by there. example, right? Exactly. And Mombadi, I think he, it's fair to say that he 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 had moments where he really struggled with the growing pains of having to be the guy that carries them a little bit. Um, yeah. But the thing about Hauser is that even though he's new, you know, quote unquote new, um, it it's it's just I don't know, man. It's it it feels like this team is going to be scary good, 
Um, and yet I, there's a part of my brain that thinks, okay, but it's going to take a little time for it to come together. Right. You, you posed something the other day we were talking about, what were we talking about? Kim Palm and the, yeah, it was, it, God, was that today? God, that feels like it was, a it month was ago. today. Now it feels like a legitimate month ago. Um, I haven't, I haven't been awake for like, uh, I don't know, 27 of the last 30 hours or anything. Um, but it's I like, know it's it, not to get political at all, but like it does kind of hurt my feelings when I put all this effort into these film rooms and pulling the numbers and running the numbers. And then you see like John King up on the big board, just like ki- kicking my ass in terms of just like knowing <laughs> stuff. Uh, John King, oh, you realize nice. like how much further you have to go to be good at something like that. Um. So wait, Paul. Anyway, wait, hold on. <laughs> now I'm curious. So are you a John King guy? Because I'm a Kornacki guy. I'm a corner. I, I, want- I think they're both very good. Um, you know, I think that I've watched both. I, I flip around just to get different perspectives, but I, I, I don't have a I horse think I enjoy Kornacki's like um, ingrained sort of sense of like, for lack of a better strip. I mean, you just curse, so I'm going to have to do it too. He's kind of batshit. Like, he just has this like look of like complete Doc Brown, you know? He's like, yeah. oh, Marty, we're gonna look and he over here. He doesn't have the jacket yeah. on, so he just seems like he's like in the weeds. You yeah, know? he yeah he looks like he looks like somebody just pulled him out of the basement and flipped the light on, and he was like, uh, mm-hmm. how, what day is it? Um, anyway, um, it's like you're good at math, right? Come on up here, <laughs> look at this thing. I uh, but I do appreciate like as as a p- former poli sci person that like they can dig into these precincts. Like, all right, so we're gonna look here into Denton. Now, listen, in 2016, Denton did da And I'm like, dang, I'm always, I'm always very impressed. Is I, I understand that they they're looking at a screen and probably regurgitating some stuff, but still, um, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that next year with like Doctor Bob four yard passing routes <laughs> and just be like, okay, well here let's look at a 2018. Kirk Banker was gone and Bryce Perkins and just go from <laughs> clicking on stuff. Ferber wants to be uh, the Steve Kornacki of CavsCorner.com. Man, that would be an awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be an awesome Kornacki title. <laughs> all right. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, all right. So, um, God, I actually don't remember what we were talking about. That's got to be a good sign, right? Um, Basketball, lead yeah. by example, yes. comedy, um, uh, stuff, <laughs> things. But anyway, overall, the idea that like. You were talking. We were talking about Kim Palm, right? And I, you were, you were thinking that yeah, like, that's it was going to take a little while for the offense. And I was thinking like it actually might be reverse. I might, I think the offense might actually be a little bit ahead of the defense. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember anything? What else do you remember about the Kim Palm numbers? I don't have them in front of me. I have it up right now. Right, um, give me, give I'm me some not deets. looking at their individual. Yeah, I'm not looking at their individual page. Just the overall rankings for everybody. Um, there's not going to be much on the individual page yet. Uh, they have. So he has UVA first in, in de- adjusted defense, which shouldn't be that big of a surprise, but he has him 75th in offense and 16th overall, right? Which you would think, like, a lot of people are like, oh, UVA is like the Ken Palm champs. Like, they're always really high in Ken Palm, um, and usually they are when they're when things are going well. Last year, they weren't. Last year, they were. Their numbers, you know, a lot of people were complaining about where UVA's numbers were in the net and everything, but Ken Palm's numbers were, like, weren't that different, Um and I think that's I think he I think with his numbers what happened last year is sort of baked in right like what you know what they were able to do on offense was not great um, until maybe later in the year you started to kind of see some marginal improvements but they won a lot of close games yeah I'm looking at last year they were 42nd in Ken Palm 23 and seven overall first in defense 234th in offense and just for reference there's nobody even close to 243 in offense around them. Um, the team below them is 143 and then 49 and fifties and 19 is below them. 
Um, so they had an outlier sort of season in terms of their offensive efficiency. Um, I think the 75 number is going to be comically low by the end of the season, right? So I think they'll end up like in the top 15 on offense or so. Um, I think Hauser... Hauser's ability to play inside out is probably what I'm most interested in. And I think that really unlocks a lot for them. Um, you know, last year in, until Wolda Tensai got hot for a little while, you know, Kihei Clark couldn't do any driving and kicking because you were driving and kicking the guys missing shots. So, I mean, the, the, those plays didn't really help them. And I think this year that'll be different. Um, and it'll open things up for everybody else. But yeah, I think that's why they're, they're at 16 right now is just, uh, you know, his offensive efficiency number is 75, which you know, if they're at 75, then they're probably not going to be that great um, in terms of overall ability. I mean, that's not – nobody has ever won an NCAA tournament title with anything close to that. So they're going to be much better than that, I think. Um, I wouldn't get too caught up in that. But it is kind of interesting to see where they start. And I think I think that 75 number takes into account that they bring back some faces from last year who played on a very un, you know not efficient offense. And um, – He's kind of baking in what they're adding too, but um, I think they'll overperform that 16 overall number as well and end up. Like I said, I think I think UVA is probably like preseason. I would have them as like a top 10ish team and not necessarily like a top two-ish team. Um, but they have the potential to get up there. But it's just they have a lot of new guys and and or guys that are playing different roles and, and freshmen that they're going to be depending on the score, um, and then obviously some veterans as well. So I think that. You know, we'll just have to see what they do against some of these teams. You talk about, you know, Villanova, Michigan State, Florida. We're going to know early how good they're going to be. And and I think that if they play well, their ratings will go up. And if they don't, they could stay where they are, but then eventually go up once they're able to play. Um, it sounds dumb, but the ACC schedule in some ways might be just as just as challenging as their non-conference schedule for once, um, just because they have so many, per, you know, premier non-conference games this year. I guess we should talk about the schedule, right? Like. Um, I mean, does yeah, anybody I have? I can't even remember what anything is or anything. Yeah, I mean, I it's like it's like my brain was like abducted by aliens. It's like I, I really do need the ACC to hurry up and come through with the schedule because I I, I don't know like what the plan is. Like, are they how many games they're gonna play? Like, I I don't. It's it's really messed up. Like how twisted up my uh, recollection of all this is. The only thing I do know with any certainty is that Tony Bennett's not gonna wear a tie. Um. Well, I mean, it's funny too because like. <laughs> I saw I forget who posted it, so I, I'm sorry if, if whoever it is, is listening. But somebody posted one of those like hype videos for the season, and it was like 22 days till the season starts or something, you know, like this month. And I was like, that's cool. And then I was like, well, I don't even know who they're playing that day. <laughs> like, I don't know what game that is. <laughs> so I don't I don't know like if that's actually the day they're opening or what. So who knows? But I would assume we're going to see a lot of ACC games. Like you know, we we had 20 last year, I think, right? So. Um, I think we'll continue to see that and uh, it's going to be a competitive schedule, but I think a fun one and like the football season this year with, with having to play so many ACC games. Um, But yeah, I mean, I guess we'll just have to see like what their non-conference slate looks like when it's done and then what their ACC schedule looks like. Um, Speaking of uh, what Tony will be wearing, let's talk about those jerseys to finish out the night. Oh, also by the way, they're not even wearing suits this year. They're wearing polos. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Remember, because they like voted on it or something. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, the heart, the, you know, the the big issues, right? All right, so I feel like I would dress like Bronco dresses, not for basketball, but like if I was a football coach, I would just wear like the the 
athletic pants with like the yeah, hoodie. Exactly. I think that's, that yeah. would be a good listen thing. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you are a coach of a team and you don't get to wear some kind of swag that they have, you are doing it backwards, man. Like, like, what is it? If I was a basketball coach, I would definitely wear like the quarter zip with like some yes, jeans. Exactly. <laughs> like, yes, there's a way to do this classy. Um, I'm not saying you got to come out there and look like you, you know, you're, you're, you're like at like college basketball fantasy camp. Right. But I mean, like you can, you know, you can do a little something with it. All right. So UVA get is getting new threads. Uh, we finally have gotten glimpses of them. Uh, I will say <laughs> that the videos that the school put out, um, with the guys was a whole lot better than those like Zapruderish film <laughs> ver- glimpses we got. Um, the other yeah, week. I'm kind of surprised they like let some of that stuff out before they did the, you know, like they not, not that UVA was posting all that stuff, but like it was pretty easily accessible on Instagram or whatever before they released the actual uniforms. Yeah, I, I was, I was actually a little bit surprised too. Um, I mean, and there it's. I, let, let me just say before we get into the actual uniforms, it's like the most UVA thing ever. Like the way they released it, it was just it was no very, frills. Yeah, it was. Like it here was, it is. Here are what, the uniforms. What I found fascinating <laughs> by it, though, right, is it comes on the heels of he comes tomorrow, right? Now yeah. listen, I fully understand. Oh, we didn't even get into all that nonsense. Listen, and it, it, people who don't have tw- who are, like don't pay attention to Twitter are very confused right now. Um, all right, I get that the creative folks in the video department had a cool idea and they executed the absolute crap out of it. Like it is from a production standpoint, it's amazing. Like all the, all the stuff they did with, with Paul Jan and the, and the, and the mask and, and, and the, and the creepiness of it, it, it was, it was flawless in all of the production aspects. So I do not mean anything. Also the all blue under the lights is fantastic. That was very random. So very random. Um, it's just a great combo. It is it a great combo. I was literally not talking about that though. Uh, <laughs> this is like randomly like, oh, the all blue. Well, you mentioned the pole jam thing. Oh, like okay. he was wearing fair. all that's blue. That's fair. Okay, it was because essentially that's what it was. Is it was a jersey reveal video, right? It just was done in a way for Halloween that really upped the ante. And I, and again, I was getting ready to say that, like, I, I don't mean anything I'm about to say is any sort of shade in anybody who worked on it. I just think that, like, if you're gonna do some sort of hype thing like that for a holiday on a game day that only happens every once in a while, right? Um, like, you very rare, like, if you go through the record books, they, you know, I mentioned this on on Twitter or whatever, or did I mention on Twitter or just in the thing that this was the second time in the in the South Oldest rivalry that they played on Halloween, the first time in Charlottesville, right? So, I mean, like, this was a, a cool opportunity. So, I think it gave people, and understandably, right, the vibe, like, oh, they're going to do, like, a special jersey for it. You know, they're going to do, like, black and orange as opposed to blue, right? You know, whatever. I think also they need to realize when you when you start hyping stuff up, considering what other teams do in terms of jersey exactly. releases and how many exactly. alternates, people are just going to assume it's going to be something, like, sick. Right, And then exactly. it's like, oh, we're wearing our normal uniforms. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the normal uniforms. But, like, again, the video stuff was incredible. Like, I'm, I'm not yeah, trying to throw great. shade at it. Yeah. But it. But the idea that it existed, right, the fact that it – what's the uh, – What's that called? Like when you're in psychology, like the idea that like when you are the act of being uh, of knowing you're being evaluated makes you change your behavior. Right. Like the idea that the thing existed made people's behavior change. Right. Their expectations went through the roof. And that's just the way humanity works. Um, And so when it finally was just like a jersey reveal, there's a big letdown. And that's because people are human and they can't help it. Like they get excited. Um, But anyway, I. I, it really, the juxtaposition between the previous week doing this big thing with Pole Jan and whatever, and then they had jersey reveal, an actual jersey reveal, 
right? And they didn't do much of anything with it, right? Like, it sort of leaked out there, here and there, and then they just did. Now, the video they did with the kids was actually pretty fun uh, with all yeah. the guys kind of doing a little something different. Um, but, like, I don't know. It was just funny to me how they put all this time and stuff into the Halloween thing for the football side, and then the basketball side had actual jerseys to reveal, right? Um, and I don't mean – I really don't mean this is any shade, but that team won a national championship, right? They are, technically speaking, still – the reigning national champions, right? Like, there's a gold tag on that jersey, and not everybody gets one of those, mm-hmm. right? It just felt like something that, like, maybe you should make a big production about. And I understand why this program doesn't make a big production about it, right? I get that. But, like, man, people need something to be excited about, dude. Like, coronavirus cases are spreading. Every, you know, the numbers are rising again. It was, it was election time. Like, dude, people could have absolutely used um, a fun – seven minute video with some sort of narrative right where like i don't know jabri and company are like searching for the for the jersey or something i don't know just something you could have done something you know with with some sort of narrative tint like you like a uh, hint like you did with um um pole jane and the he you know he comes tomorrow um yeah one thing i will say about that I, well, two things first i think what you kind of spoke to speaks to the theatrics involved in football versus basketball too like not to say basketball teams never do union releases or anything, but football, it's like teams do this every week now. It's like a whole marketing thing, you know? So I think that that's part of it too, is that so many resources are pumped into football regardless. And then secondly, if, if they're going to start getting media members involved in hype videos and things like that, I mean, I would love to have a podcast where we, <laughs> you know, get to do something like that. <laughs> so, I will set up all kinds um, of equipment in my office here to pretend like I am doing, you know, whatever, whatever you guys need, we we are more than happy to oblige. That's basically what we're saying. Yeah. So, all right. So we'll even do a thing to fool people, to mess with people <laughs> saying they're going to get orange unis in basketball. And then they don't. All right. I don't, um, I don't we'll, know if we'll, I don't put that. Make, I'm willing to do all kinds don't, of stuff. Don't put that evil on me. I don't know if I'm willing to, if you, you if you, mm-hmm. if I tweeted out right now, even amid all the election nonsense going on still with the accounts, if I tweeted out right now that there were orange basketball jerseys coming out, that tweet would get 350 likes in like 10 minutes, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Like it would, it would, do, it would be bananas. I'd have to turn my notifications off. Um, all right, do we like the jerseys? I am on record as saying that if you're gonna change it up and you're not gonna make it really good, just go back to the Harold Dean days. Like, just give me the Harold Dean Junior Burrow jersey and call it a day. Right? Uh, you don't. I don't. You're, you don't need. I know it was a starter. I don't care. Put put it put a Nike swoosh on it, a little gold tag, run it as is, right? Um, I, I'm not a big fan, um, even after seeing them in, in in more detail. I'm just not, and I, I think that they look a little bit too Penn Statey to me. Um, the font is a little small for me. Um, not a big fan of like the way it's like centered in a weird way. Um, I don't know. I just not. I don't know. Just it, for for a revamp, it just I don't know. It didn't do a whole lot for me. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> all right, so I don't think they're bad. I don't think that they're like terrible uniforms. I think they're pretty clean, which is nice. Um, I mean, obviously, we knew with the with the rebranding, they weren't gonna just like they you know they were gonna fall in line like everybody else and get the new numbers and the new letters and all that stuff. Um, Overall, I don't think it's too bad. My one thing is I think it's it, they're kind of plain. Like uh, it's just a lot of white and blue and not a lot of orange. I mean, you remember like, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh well, you know, that's that's the colors and and that's that's true. Um, 
But I mean, they had orange numbers on both you both jerseys before, right? And now you have white. It's basically just white and blue. I think if they just incorporated a little bit more orange, that would make it pop a little bit more. Um, maybe like if the blue jersey had like orange lettering and numbering instead of white, I think that might make it look a little better. Um, but overall, I mean, not terrible. I think like anything else, we'll just get used to it over time. Um, and if they win in them, who cares, right? <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. I do think that the lack of orange probably means there's an alternate. And I'm gonna be honest, and I know don't throw don't don't throw um, tomatoes at me. But I will not be surprised if they have some weird alternate jersey somewhere that has one of those secondary marks on it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you saw some teams do that sort of like Duke, you know, where they wear like the big – the letter D, you know, instead of where Duke would be written and stuff like that. Like that's – and NBA teams, that's pretty much what all their uniforms look like now. So I'm sure Nike would love for them to, to put something like that because I'm sure they would love for, for any merchandise with those secondary marks to move. But – Again, I, mm-hmm. I just I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of them. Doesn't mean I hate them. Um, I, they've I, well, I guess I should say is my initial thought was I hated them. Um, but as they've as time has passed, I mean they're fine. Um, I also feel the same way. I mean, like we saw the football uniforms and we we're like these numbers are terrible, and I'm already like kind of liking them now. I'm like yeah, yeah the num- I, I will say the numbers on the helmets, especially the the blue helmets. Um, Mm-hmm. I, or With a the lot, orange. Yeah, they're 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 a lot. They're that's a lot what I mean. If the numbers, if the numbers on the blue basketball jersey had been orange and the letters were orange, I think that would have it would have popped hard. Like it would have been nice. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's not too bad. I think we'll get used to it. I do like the back of the the jersey. I think the word font is pretty good, and, and the number looks good, and then that gold tag on the top. Yeah, I, yeah the back is yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm not a big fan of the flare on the sides, and I think and, the, and especially around the neck. I I don't know, man. I, yeah, and of course they're doing that saber thing with like the stripe down the pants yeah, or down the shorts. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a big fan, but that's okay. And, and I'm I mean, hopefully for for some fans out there, you know this 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 is a, a design that you really like, and you'll you'll be all about you know, purchases and merchandise and stuff. Um, I wish I was still doing the fanatics. Someone, thing and I could like plug it right now. It'd be a perfect segue. Yeah. Get that money in. Got to get that football building built. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Um, I think that's a very good place to put a pen in it. Um, did Dave have any, Oh my God, we didn't even mention where Dave was. Yeah, I guess. Well, partly, yeah, partly because we didn't have a preview or we didn't have a game to pick. That's true. <laughs> at the yeah. end of the, yeah, we didn't get it. But so Dave's I, prediction will wait a week. I, I remember and honestly, saying Dave. Dave sent his prediction and saying because a twenty, he picked like a crazy score and was like because twenty twenty, because twenty twenty, Dave, there is no game. That's to true. Uh, I remember <laughs> so saying you, something. You were <laughs> I remember saying something when I was introing you, and I was like, tonight that is, you know, just Ferber, whatever. Mm-hmm. I did not even say that uh, we we would miss Dave not being with us tonight. Um, prior family just, obligation just, put, just just snip this out and put it at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> that's entirely too much editing um but no i uh, we, we are 100 percent getting a text at 8 a.m tomorrow that's yeah. like you guys didn't you guys me didn't even mention me until an hour and, and 10 minutes in or whatever it is um so yeah i uh i, I apologize for that dave uh but anyway dave will be back hopefully next week when we actually talk about louisville so that's good so uh if you are someone who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your shows. And if uh, you have somewhere else and we're not there, let me know because I want us to be there. Um, if you are somebody who found the pod through the but has not given us a look at the website yet, check us out, calvescorner.com. Lord have mercy. 
I have a lot of stuff on the website right now for a game that's not coming, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't read Ferber's Take Two about Carolina. Uh, my weekend wrap about the Carolina win, the PFF grades I thought were interesting. Um, Ferber did a nice deep dive on Virginia's big plays against the Heels. Um, we we've got stuff from the game week presser. I want to thank Ferber for hand, helping me out with that um, since I was securing said puppy uh, earlier. Um, the coordinator notes I thought were What's interesting. What's the name? Uh, we went with um, Maisie. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah. My kid is my kid has been waiting for this dog since like legitimate March. Um, she chose it for her birthday, and she wanted to go mm-hmm. make it instead of it being a um, instead of it being an if, make it a win. And then we've been on the waiting list for forever. So. Yeah, my uh, one of my buddies got a dog uh, at the beginning of the quarantine because he was like, "Well, if I'm going to be home, this is the perfect time to do it." Um, well, that's yeah, that was exactly you know that was exactly what I thought. And shout so, out to shout out to Beans, <laughs> a great golden retriever. Um, yeah, so yeah, the so far so good on the puppy front. She's uh, she's very very happy, and that's you know all that matters. Um, all right, again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Ferber for giving graciously of his time, both now and always. I very much appreciate everything he does. Um, so for Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.